Now, I mean a spiritual storm. How many of you are in one now? Financial, relational, temptation, storms happen. I want to talk to you today about you and your storm. I want to give credit to Warren Wiersbe, who I heard a message of his and really inspired this message. What a wonderful teacher he is. But anyway, thank you, Warren Wiersbe. Now, you and your storm. I want to jump into Paul's story. First, show a picture up here. Can we just show that picture? Um, My daughter took that picture. She's living in Galveston now. She gets up early in the morning and she goes uh, to the seashore for about 30 minutes and prays and takes pictures. This was a storm rolling in. A little bit of sunlight left and then the storm hit. So I told her, I'm going to use your picture. And so she's watching right now. Hi, Julia. All right, so let's put the verse up here, Acts 27, and here we're jumping into the story of Paul is on a ship at sea that is experiencing an incredible storm, and lo and behold, in the middle of the storm, an angel appears and says this to him, after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them, now he's he's talking to the people on the ship first, and then we're going to read the words of the angel. Now, what he's having here is a great big happy, I told you so. He is so thrilled to be able to tell them, I told you so. So look what he says. Paul stood in the midst of them and said, man, you should have listened to me. Can't you just feel him loving to say this? Because he was right. And, And you shouldn't have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, I want everybody to read the first four words with me and I want you to preach it, okay? Ready? Do not be afraid. That's always what God says. He always says that. Do not be afraid. Oh, what about Ebola? What does God say? What about terrorism? Whatever the storm is, God says. That's what God says in the middle of any storm. Now, he says, here's why, Paul, because you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I love that. Get one saved person in your house. Therefore, take heart, men, For I believe, God, it will be just as it was told me. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will make it alive to us. And I pray for everybody in a storm, this will comfort them. And those who are going to be in a storm, let it comfort them. Lord, thank you for the precious word of God that is like a hammer that beats the rock in pieces and like a fire shut up in our bones. Thank you that your word is true in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry about your storm. You can be seated. Amen. Now, let me just bring you up to speed real quickly. Paul uh, had, had been preaching the gospel like he always did. And the Jewish people got very angry at him. Some Jewish men became very angry at him and wanted to kill him. As a matter of fact, they were laying in wait to catch him and kill him. Well, he came into the hands of one of the Roman governors named uh, Festus. And Festus 
said, should I turn you over to them and let them try you in Jerusalem? And Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen. Therefore, I appeal to Caesar. Now, as soon as a Roman citizen said, who was in a legal issue, said, I appeal to Caesar, then they had to go to Caesar. And so Festus said to him, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And so off they went. Now, he gets on a ship. And this ship is the one we just read about that was in the middle of a storm. Now, when they were about to sail, Paul had a word from God. And the word from God told him, there's going to be a tremendous storm. You better not sail. So he went to the owner of the ship. He went to the sailors. And he said, I'm telling you, God is telling me that we better not sail. There's a storm coming. Well, it says the owner of the ship refused to believe him and believed instead the helmsman or one of the professional sailors. So they ignored the man of God and they went on their own logic and their own instincts and they took off and they sailed. It was just as Paul said. They ran into a major, major storm that I'm going to talk about in just a moment. It was a bad one. It was utterly life-threatening. It was huge. It was vast. It was vicious. And it looked hopeless. And in the middle of this storm, when they had given up hope, this visitation from God came to Paul in the middle of, in the form of an angel. An angel appeared. I'm going to tell you, folks, angels are real. They're not little cherub-looking things with wings and harps and like look like little babies. Angels are mighty. They are powerful. They are magnificent. They are fearful. Anytime in the Bible a real angel appeared, the person to whom it appeared fell on their face at the presence of the angel and asked for mercy. And the angel always had to say, don't be afraid. Now, the angel spoke to Paul, and I want to focus on what he said to him. He said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Now, these powerful, encouraging words from God's angel to Paul carry three truths, three powerful truths that I want to share with you today in the middle of a storm-tossed world, a storm-tossed nation, a storm-tossed city. I want you to hear this as a word from God to us. First, number one, I want you to repeat these with me. It's good stuff. Ready? The storm cannot harm the child of God. Second, the storm cannot hide the face of God. And third, the storm cannot hinder the will of God. Oh, I want you to catch these today. The storm can't harm the child of God. The storm can't hide the face of God from the child of God. And the storm can't hinder the will of God for the child of God. Storms are storms, but God is greater than the storm. One of my favorite verses is Nahum 1, verse 3. You can read it later. Nahum 1, verse 3. It says, God has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. God rides the storms. God uses storms. God is victor over storms. God controls storms. No storm makes God sit up in heaven and say, what are we going to do now? No, storms, storms 
our putty in the hands of the God we serve. And I am convinced from the Word of God that a storm can't harm the child of God, can't hide the face of God, and can't hinder the will of God for you and for me. Now let me deal with these one at a time. The storm cannot harm the child of God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? If there's any doubt in you about that, I'm going to preach the doubt out. I'm going to get faith in today. I'm going to preach that doubt out because the storm cannot harm the child of God. Paul's storm while on the the ship at sea was very different from Jonah's storm when he was on a ship at sea. Here's why. Jonah's storm came because he was out of God's will. Paul's storm came while he was in the center of God's will. Jonah's storm came because he was running from God. But Paul's storm came while he was running after God. So storms happen for various and sundry reasons in the lives of God's children. Now, we're told a little bit about this ship and the people that were on it. Let me just share it with you and and kind of give us an imaginary picture of this. We're told that there were 276 people on this ill-fated voyage. Now, this this was one of the larger ships. Think about uh, 276 folks. That's a lot of people, especially for back then. It was like a jet full of people, 276. And the, so they were on a larger ship. And this was a prison ship, a prisoner vessel. On that ship, we had the owner of the ship, Dr. Luke of Luke's Gospel in the book of Acts was on this ship traveling with Paul. There was a Roman centurion that is mentioned, professional sailors are mentioned, and several prison guards because this was a ship with a prisoner galley below where many, many prisoners were being taken to Rome. And I was thinking this, this week that on this ship was even more than what I just told you. On this ship was Ephesians. By grace are you saved by faith. On this ship was Philippians. Being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you, will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. On this ship was Colossians. You are complete in him. On this ship was 2 Timothy. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Because all of those letters were yet to be written by Paul in Rome, which was his destination. So God had a hugely invested reason for getting this ship with its primary occupant, Paul, to Rome. Rome was the destination of his destiny. God's destiny for you and for me leads us to our destination. Every one of us in here today have destinations ordained by God because we all have a destiny. You're a child of destiny. You are not a product of some evolutionary event where you evolved. No, the Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made, not fearfully and wonderfully evolved. God made you. And he made you with a plan. He made you with a destiny. His hand is on you. His spirit is in you. He's got places for you to arrive at that you haven't gotten to yet. But guess what? Your arrival places, he's already there waiting for you to say hello when you get there. And he's going to get you there. 
We are all people of destiny, and I live for the destiny of God. My heart beats to fulfill the destiny of God. I want to be able to say what Paul said. I finished my course, the course set aside for Jeff Wickwire, and there's one for you. He knows your name. He knows your address. He put together your DNA. He is the God who made you. He is the God who has called you, and he is the God of your destinations. Now, the, the, the prisoners aboard this ship were being taken to Rome to be used in the gladiatorial battles in the great Roman Colosseums. They were being taken to use as pawns to fight in the Colosseums so the Roman citizens who had a bloodlust, much like Americans have developed today, they had a bloodlust and they would watch these prisoners be slaughtered. These prisoners were being taken on their final voyage, and they knew it. When they got to the Roman Colosseums, they would be put out there with the Colosseums filled with thousands of people who would watch them killed for their own entertainment. That's where this ship was going, and Paul was among them. Paul was right there in the middle of it. Paul the Apostle, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, Philippians, Philemon, yet to come off of his pen. There, the wisest, most spiritual, greatest Christian, greatest missionary on the face of the earth was in the bowels of this ship. <clears throat> so these prisoners were all doomed. The only salvation they had was that God's man called for God's purpose, headed to God's destination, was on that ship. You know what I wish we could all get a real revelation of? Is how valuable our presence is as Christians in this world. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Do you know how many times God has blessed the people around you because of you? Do you know how many times that God has gotten people safely to somewhere or another because of you? You know, when I fly, and I don't like to fly, but when I do fly, I remind myself of who I am in Christ, and I know that I've got a destiny. And there are times I believe that God might have gotten us there safely because, and I say this in humility, but because I was there. Because, see, if, you're, if your purpose in God isn't finished, you are invincible. See, without Paul having been on this voyage, they were all doomed and damned. It would have crashed. It would have gone under. It would have been taken out by this storm. But a man of God was on this ship, a praying man, a called man. And because of that, God saved the entire ship and everybody in it. God's man in God's will going to God's destination was invincible Paul would eventually tell this whole ship full of people, and I love this, not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And they were just a bunch of pagans, pagan sailors, pagan prisoners headed to their doom, and yet Paul gave them a word of hope. He could say this because the life of the child of God is firmly held in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Folks, I'm going to give you a fact. Until our purpose is done in earth, the child of God is invincible. Now, I'm going to say that again. I want you to catch it. Think about it. Until our purpose is done on earth, the child of God is invincible. 
He's got angels around you. I think one of the real revelations we get to heaven is going to be when we realize how often, how many times an angel was there that spared our lives because God wasn't finished with us yet. We are invincible. The child of God is invincible until God is finished with you. David wrote these words, and David constantly, remember, hounded by Saul, stalked by Saul, threatened by Saul, who wanted to kill him and take his life. And in the middle of this constant attack from Saul and the armies of Israel, David wrote these words, my future is in your hands. All that I am or ever shall be is at the disposal of God. You can't hurt me. You can't hurt me while God is with me. You can't hurt me while God is watching over me. You can't do anything to me until his purpose is finished and complete. I remember the words of Jesus when he was brought before Pilate. And Pilate didn't understand who he was talking to. This was God in flesh. And Pilate looked at him and he said, Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus looked at him and said, now I'm paraphrasing, this is the revised, slanted, wickwire version. Dude, you don't know who you're talking to. You know what Jesus said? No, 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 Pilate. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. You think you're in charge of me, but you're not. My God is in charge of me. My future is in his hands. You can't touch me unless he lets you. I'm invincible until my purpose is done. The star, storm cannot harm the child of God. Consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What a story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here they are, three Hebrew children taken into the captivity in Babylon. And while they're in the captivity, Nebuchadnezzar who became this incredibly powerful man, Babylon ruled the earth, got the big head and said, I'm going to make a statue that looks just like me, a giant statue, an idolatrous statue, and when we blow the trumpet, I want everybody in this entire kingdom of Babylon to fall on your face and worship the image of the statue. He, in other words, he was commanding idolatry. The government was commanding disobedience to God. Are you following me? Do you sense whiffs of that even now with us? But here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the, these three Hebrew children, and they said, O king, we will not bow to this image of you. If our God delivers us, great, but if he does not, we are still not going to bow, break, bend, or back down. We only worship the living God. So, O king, we can't do it. Nebuchadnezzar says fury rose up in his face. He said, turn that oven up seven times hotter than normal. The, the oven that was already hot began to rage and roar as they turned it up. They threw the three Hebrew children into a burning, fiery oven. It was so hot that it incinerated the men that threw them in. But they went in and they went down. And Nebuchadnezzar came along a little bit later and looked down there. And lo and behold, there they were at the bottom of this burning, fiery oven walking around. But then Nebuchadnezzar said, wait a minute. Didn't we just throw three in there? How is it I see four? And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And his Bible says, he said, get them out of there. 
And they got them out. The Bible says the three Hebrew children were not burned by the fire. Not a hair of their heads was singed or their clothes burned. And there wasn't even the smell of smoke upon them. Do you know why? Because God wasn't finished with them yet. And Nebuchadnezzar, let's be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think I would have been saying that too. My, My message is this. The storm cannot harm the child of God. As long as God's purpose for that child of God is still intact, the storm cannot harm the child of God. The devil may come against you. Circumstances may turn against you. You may be in a very dark midnight hour, but I'm telling you, God will ride that storm. God will use that storm. God will work through that storm. You'll come on out on the other side of that storm, not even smelling like you have been through a mighty trial. Not even... Be- looking like you've been through hell and back. In Paul's shipwreck, we see that, yes, they hungered, they were cold. It was wintertime. When they landed on the shores of the island, I'm going to talk about in a minute, it was wintertime, it was freezing. They were cold, they were distressed, they were rattled. But the story ends by saying, and so it was, they all escaped safely to land. All of them. Not one was lost. Folks, as Christians, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We may have some very tough days and some very long nights, but I'm telling you, our God is in charge of the storm and has already decreed that storm will serve his purposes and not the devil's, his purposes and not flesh, his purposes. And the storm won't harm the child of God. We also see the storm cannot hide the face of God. It's difficult to describe just how perilous this journey was that they were on. This almost voyage of the damned had it not been for the presence of Paul. Paul had warned them at the outside, uh, outset, Man, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and with much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. And it happened just like he predicted, except they didn't lose their lives because Paul must reach Rome. The Bible describes the storm vividly. Watch this. It began with a tempestuous headwind called Eurocladon. A Eurocladon is a powerful storm that happens when strong southerly winds turn northerly all of a sudden and it produces violent Hurricane force winds, 70, 80, 90 mile an hour winds suddenly broadsided this ship. Out of nowhere, suddenly, they're in the storm of their life. Suddenly, rock to and fro like a toothpick on the water. 276 passengers holding on to things, grabbing on to things, crying out but not to the God that Paul knew. Luke describes it like this. We were exceedingly tempest-tossed. We had to lighten the ship by throwing the tackle overboard with our own hands. We didn't see sun or stars for many days. The tempest unrelentingly beat on us, and it also says for 14 days they did not eat. They had no food. Can you imagine trying to hold down a ship that that is just about to sink? You're hanging on for your life. You're throwing all the tackle overboard. You're lightening the ship to try to keep it from going down. And all of that on 14 days of 
forced fasting, no natural energy, no strength. This was desperation in all caps. What are we going to do? What's going to become of us? This is it. We're done for. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they lost the one commodity you cannot do without. The Bible says all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, you can live without food for weeks. You can live without water, I think, three days, but you can't live without hope. Oh, I got to tell you about hope. I live with hope. I thank God that I walk with the God of hope. He's called the God of all hope. What is hope? It's when you wake up and you have a confident expectation of good in regards to your future. You know that God is doing something with your life. You know that as long as your life is in his hands, you don't need to be afraid. Hope says don't ever give up, don't ever give in, because God is with you. David said, I would have fainted unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He had hope. Hope is when you wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Hopelessness is when you wake up and say, good Lord, it's morning. When you lose hope, you stop living. When you lose hope, you sink into depression. Some of you have lost hope. You don't see light at the end of the tunnel. And if it is a light at the end of the tunnel, you think it's a train coming your way. But I'm going to tell you, our God is a God of hope. When it seems like everything has fallen apart, God is there to pick you up again. He is the God of eternal hope. But they lost their hope. Weeks, I mean, days and days and and relentless storm just brought them to the place where they said, we're never getting out of this. This is it. This is the end. This is the curtain call. We're never going to make it to Rome. But there was a praying man in the bowels of that ship. It was right in the middle of this horrific bone-crushing storm that the angel of God appeared to Paul. There stood by me this night. I think it's interesting. It was at night. It was not just literally night, but it was figuratively night. It was the midnight of the soul of this ship. It was midnight in the souls of these men. It was midnight. He appeared at midnight. In the darkest hour, the face of God appeared. An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Oh, what a, what a blessing to be able to say that. This angel came from the God who is my father. This angel came from my heavenly father who cares about me, who isn't going to let me go under, who isn't going to let me sink, who's not going to walk out with everyone else, but he's going to walk in when everybody else walks out. My God sent his angel, and it was the face of God. Church, the storm can't harm the child of God. And the storm can't hide the face of God. Uh, God often shows up. You ever notice that at 1159? He's an 1159 God. He waits to see if there's any pace in you. Are, are you gonna, is he going to find you pacing back and forth wondering if this is the end of you or are you going to be sitting there resting in God knowing? I know. Even though it looks like he's late to me, he's never really late. He comes right on time, his time. He shows up in the midnight hour. When hope is slipping and faith is shaking and circumstances seem stacked against you, that's when God decides to show up. Uh, do you remember it was as Moses stood at the, at the shores of the Red Sea with a million people delivered from Egypt 
and here is a sea in front of him, and then all of a sudden they see a cloud of dust behind them, and it's Pharaoh's chariots coming to take them back to Egypt. He is between a rock and a hard place. What do I do, God? What do I do? It was midnight, and the face of God appeared in the form of a word from God. Stand still, Moses, and see the salvation of the Lord. He will show to you today. He said, all right, I'm going to stand still. There's a time to run, there's a time to walk, and there's a time to stand still and just wait. Be still, the Bible says in Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. There's a time to be still. And all of a sudden, the east wind came from nowhere, and whoosh, that sea parted. And I read some stupid critic recently said, well, that's why they were able to walk across. It was so shallow. Well, my retort is, well, then God killed the entire Egyptian army with shallow water. Right? That's a miracle. But it wasn't shallow. It was as Peter sat in a prison cell awaiting his execution. The angel of God appeared in the midnight hour. The face of God appeared in the form of an angel once again. Smote him, woke him up, and said, follow me. I'm leading you out. The prison doors swung open. He walked out, and he was delivered because God wasn't finished with him yet. It was as Daniel Daniel was thrown into the a, a, a hungry lion's den for the longest night of his life that the face of God appeared in his midnight hour. And by his own testimony later, he said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because you can't be harmed by a storm when God's not done with you yet. The face of God will find its way into your storm come in the form of a timely word, the presence of a friend, his peace that passes all understanding, a dream, a vision, some way, somehow, someday, God will get to you in your storm and that storm will not hide the face of God. He'll appear and here's what he says, it's okay, I'm here. This storm will not harm you and it will not keep my face from you. You're going to make it to your destination. I'm going to say that again. You're going to make it to your destination because your destination is my destiny and nothing stops my destiny. The storm can't harm the child of God. The storm can't hide the face of God. And once more, the storm can't hinder the will of God. Do you believe that? The will of God is unstoppable, non-negotiable. You can't stop the will of God. Let me tell you something, church. Mistakes can't stop the will of God. Failure can't stop the will of God. Uh, flesh can't stop the will of God. Demons can't stop the will of God. Some of you are saying, well, I've made so many mistakes. Surely the will of God is done. No, because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God will find you. God will breathe fresh life into you. God will stand you on your feet again. He will brush you off. He'll fill you with new vision and new hope and new life and say, let's get going again. Listen, a failure is not somebody who makes a mistake. A failure is somebody who never gets up again. But my Bible says the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again.
Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. The will of God for Paul was crystal clear. You're going to speak to the Caesar. And nothing's going to stop that. Not this storm. Not anything. Now look at the ferocity of this storm and consider that even this hurricane, this colossal tossing and turning, this gigantic upheaval that just threw his life up up in the air, he was being threshed like wheat. It could not stop Paul from God's destination for him. It's very, very powerful to note that the island on which they landed called Malta was a needle in a haystack miracle. They're out there, this little ship. If you're God looking down, here's this vast ocean. Here's this little ship tossed like a toothpick in the midst of this gigantic Eurachlodon, this storm. And, 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 and the natural eye looking at this would say, they're done for. It's over for them. I have no hope for them. But you see, what I see in this story is God was riding the storm. God had control of the storm. God was overruling the storm. Listen, folks, where God doesn't rule, he overrules. God was overruling this storm. And all the while they're tossed and turned, oh, how are we going to make it? God's hand was on that storm and on that ship. And he just kindly deposited them on the shores of a little island called Malta. And listen to this. One commentator writes, if they had missed Malta, there would have been nothing else for 200 miles. And nobody would have expected the ship to make it that far. So the only place they could have landed, the hand of God, took them there. My God is the God of a needle in a haystack. A needle in a haystack. Oh, what am I going to go do? And you feel all storm tossed. And all the while, God is overruling the storm. He is guiding you. He is leading you. He's ordering your steps. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And, and all the while, God has his hand on this storm. And, and, and he takes them right up to Malta and says, Here, boop. And in the morning, they say, We see land. God led them there, needle in a haystack. Even though your storm may seem big, out of control, threatening, consuming, God's hand is above it all, and he is guiding you towards a destiny and a destination of rest and safety. That's why when I hear all these stories, Ebola this, Ebola that, ISIS this, terrorist that, I know that my God is overruling the storm, that my God is riding the storm, that he's going to have his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And he will guide his people to that safe harbor. They landed at Malta. And what did Paul do? What Paul always does. He went in there and started preaching. Here here comes all these these island people. And they had a chief. And the chief came up to him. And uh, one of the chief's family, I forget who, had a fever. Paul went straight over and healed the person of the fever. And then Paul was, was messing with a campfire. And he was putting wood on the campfire. And a viper came out and bit him in the hand. Now, there's no doubt a two-stepper. You know what a two-stepper is. In East Texas, we know what a two-stepper is. A two-stepper snake is he bites you and you take two steps and you die. A two-stepper. A two-stepper is like a cobra. A two-stepper is like a gaboon viper. A two-stepper is lethal. And a two-stepper reached out and grabbed him by the hand and bit him, and Paul just shook it off. You know why he could shake it off? Because God wasn't done with him yet. 
God wasn't done with him yet. So they all said, oh, he's a God, he's a God, because they were waiting for him to swell up. They were waiting for him to drop dead. He did neither. And they said, he's a God. And he said, no, I'm not a God, but let me tell you about the real God. And he started preaching. And they were there for three months. And for three months, they had a Holy Ghost, devil-stomping, soul-winning, Christ-exalting revival. When spring came, he got on a ship and went to Rome. And there he faced Caesar. And there in prison, he said, I think I'll write Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, 2 Timothy, Philemon. A lot of what's in here. And they redeemed the time. And he redeemed the time. God's in control of your storm. Can we stand together today? Let's say together once more. My storm can't harm me. My storm can't hide God's face. My storm can't hinder God's will. Can we lift our hands together and just thank the Lord? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, he's a good God. What a great God we serve. He has his way in the whirlwind. He has his way in the storm. He's sovereign. He's providential. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what's coming before it ever arrives. He knew your storm was coming before it ever hit. And right now, he's the Lord of your storm. He's in the storm with you. And he's going to walk you to your Malta, your place of safety. I feel a prophetic touch on that statement. I just feel a prophetic touch on that statement. Somebody in here, several of you in here, feel so storm-tossed. I want you to know there's a Malta. You're going to land there. You're going to arrive there. And God's going to give you a place of safety. He's going to give you a place. And you're going to see his hand moving, just like they did on the island of Malta. You're going to see a fresh move of God on your soul and on your life. I'm speaking prophetically right now. I'm so aware of it. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I feel a nudge in my spirit that this is a word. Your storm is not greater than your God. I want you to just lift your hand and say, Lord, I give you this storm that is tossing me. It's a financial storm. It's a relational storm. It's a marital storm. It's a temptation storm. God's riding that storm and he's overruling that storm. He's got it and he's got you. Thank you, Lord. He wants to have just a second of worship. Can you just lead us, Keith, just in, in worship to the Lord?